Hello, beautiful friend. I have a big announcement at the top of today's episode. I mean, you already saw it in the title, but then I also have a big one at the end, so stay tuned. And I wanted to kick this off with a quick thank you to some beautiful new souls who have left reviews. Here is how I know y'all are my people. You write a paragraph of exactly what you love about the show, who you shared it with, what you're doing when you listen. Like, this is so me. I want the whole story. It's so authentic. You are just so my people. So I'm just going to read a snippet because you guys wrote so much. Swipe up and read all of the beautiful reviews. But SR Moog said, Hillary is one of the few podcasters that speaks with extraordinary wisdom while at no point shaming you. I mean, as I cannot think of a compliment that would mean more to me than that. She also said, it is worth every minute you listen to. Thank you so much. Devon said, I look forward to each Wednesday. Every episode is filled with such wisdom and truth while also being humble and maybe discussing a viewpoint that you hadn't thought of. It feels like your coffee with a friend. It is that personable, which is how I, Hillary, feel reading these reviews. I feel like you guys are a personal friend sending me a text message to tell me what you loved about it, which when my real friends do that, I just can't tell you how much that means. Devon also specifically recommended one episode and said, quote, I've listened to this one a few times and sent it to friends every time I listen. And again, you are my people with the re-listen. I am on a big re-listening audiobook kick right now because I just realized the books that knock my socks off the first time around, I for sure do not remember everything in them. They were speaking deeply to something in my soul that I needed and therefore continue to need. And there is so much more life that they can give me. And finally, Javianis said, I'm making my way through all your past episodes while painting the interior of my new house. I like to think that the wisdom, joy, and insights are flowing through me into my paintbrush onto the walls of every room in my house. I mean, I have goosebumps. Is that not a beautiful vision? And just what a magical Hillary-esque juxtaposition of wisdom and beauty and everything we're surrounding ourselves with. Anyways, she finished it with, thank you week after week for making our lives more elegantly excellent. Thank you all so much. And if you haven't yet, please join the party. It is such a gift to me to read your words. I am so grateful for a few minutes of your time. And in exchange, here are a few of mine. Fancy a cuppa? Well, come on then. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. My love, let's have a chat today about when a dream is delayed, which I believe is an experience we can all relate to, or have someone very dear to us who is right smack dab in the middle of it that we love. This might be a personal or professional dream. It could be a huge life goal legacy of the thing you feel you're going to leave behind you in the world or what really feels like the purpose of your life in your family or even just a seemingly smaller goal like learning a language or how to sail but you've been saying it for years and it hasn't happened and again whether it feels like a legacy or I don't know how to live my life without this or just a nice to have there still is a a power and potentially a weight when we've been saying for years, whether privately to ourselves in our journal or publicly 
to those people close to us or for those of you that, like me, perhaps have a platform even more publicly to, you know, the the broader world, so to speak. And when it continues to not happen, it can breed such an undercurrent of insecurity, embarrassment, fear that what if it never does happen, shame and embarrassment, if I said that I wanted to do this thing and I never follow through or I never make it happen, wondering what you're doing wrong, is it your fault, uh, impatience, <laughs> you're tired of hearing yourself say it, like, I, oh my gosh, I feel like I've been in this part of the story for forever. Sometimes even being triggered when someone asks about it because they're trying to be nice and supportive, but in your mind, if you're not moving it forward and therefore it feels like a failure, it can actually be a tender spot when people check in and ask, hey, how's that thing going? Did you ever end up you know, doing that thing? So this is my story with writing a book. And just a few days ago on Instagram, I was able to finally announce it officially that I have a top tier book deal with a top tier publisher. And it felt so good to not just be at that place, but given permission by my agents that it was now safe to actually announce it publicly. You know, was it there's no way it was going to get taken away or fall through or anything like that. And I wanted to take today to reflect on what the path here has looked like and see what we can all learn from it. Today's episode is very practical. I want it to be really helpful for you. So I've laid out a series of questions and you can take notes on those as you go. Or if you are on the go, you can swipe up in the description and I have typed all those out so you can refer to them later. If you just want to listen and take it in today and then sit down with your journal or a girlfriend and have the, the conversation walking through them later. If this episode blesses you, please screenshot it, share it, tag me as I truly hope this helps someone else too. I am deeply passionate that I don't believe we talk about this topic, this experience, this elongated season enough, and yet it is actually one that we almost all find ourselves in, and I think it's an area that we can we can use more ministry and encouragement to one another in. So my first question for you is, when did the dream start? My dream of writing a book started with my girlfriend, Carrie. She is a publicist at a top publisher house here in New York City. She has been in the publishing world her whole life. She is a writer her, herself. And she was adamant when she took my style course that this needed to be a book. And I was adamant that I did not want to write a book. <laughs> I am, I'm not a bucket list person. I think um, I just am not super motivated by a lot of the traditional things that people are like, oh, I make a bucket list and I check these things off. I think on the one hand, I'm a realistic romantic. I really think through what is something going to take? Is it really going to feel that good in the end that it was worth the time, the money, the energy, the risk, whatever? I am an Enneagram 4 as I'm sure you know if we've been hanging out for more than five seconds. And therefore, I like to do things differently. So a common life goal that everyone else has is sometimes less appealing to me. Marriage is a common life goal. I'm down with that. But writing a book is actually a wildly common life goal. And in my mind, I'm like, eh, everybody wants to do that. I don't want to do it, you know, that much. Um, so to me, writing a book was not practical. I kept saying to Carrie, I can make way more money, more quickly, more easily, 
running Facebook ads to webinars to online courses, you know, all while being home in my pajamas. <laughs> this is not, why would I want to embark on something so huge and so epic that I just know is not going to make me a lot of money? It does not feel pleasurable. So many authors and writers talk about how hard it is to write a book. Now, this is a conversation for another day that as I've gotten into this process, I've just decided, really similar to our conversation on motherhood a a couple episodes ago, just because everyone talks about how hard it is, I think we can build up a story that it is even harder and therefore not want to embark on it, even if it is what we're called to and what's meant for us. And so while I don't discount that it's hard, motherhood or writing a book, I also just really challenge myself, do I want to live my life under the guise of, oh, it's so hard? Like, no, that's just not me. I don't want to discount anybody else's experience, but I also just want don't want to have to accept that. So it didn't feel practical. It didn't feel pleasurable. It kind of felt like the reason to do it was for ego, to say you've written a book, to see your book in a bookshop. And that's just not my motivator. I'm too realistic of a romantic that I'm like, nah, I can see, I, I've got enough experience running a business to know how hard that's going to be. That's not going to be worth, you know, the feeling in the end. So my question for you is, what was the origin of your dream? And if it came from someone else, that doesn't mean that it's bad. We just want to notice where it came from. Did it come from seeing someone else do it? Someone else telling you to do it? Was that a peer? Was that your parents? Was that society? The truth is, not every dream we have will come true. And that is okay. To have an idea and then decide you aren't that compelled by it. To have a dream and then Instead, have another dream come along that feels easier or more fulfilling or more right for that moment. To have a dream be so much more involved than you thought that once you get into it, you're like, you know what? I thought this was going to bring me a level five fulfillment if it took a level three energy behind the scenes to do it. And now that I realize it takes a level 33 energy... That level five fulfillment, it's just the the math doesn't shake out. You know, it's going to be less fulfilling. And I think that it is so powerful. We talk about this in the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal and in the workshops that I have with the members of that community, the, the owners of the journal, that I think a lot of times we can get a dream and not have really fleshed out everything that's going to go into it or what our true motivator is, why we really want this. We have that sunk cost bias. Once we're already down the road, we just often don't slow down to reanalyze. Do I still really want this? Do I have new information? Have I changed as a person? Is something different in my life? So there is someone listening today that needs the permission that you can let that dream go. Or if you look back at where the dream started, you might be like, I, this dream wasn't mine and therefore it doesn't feel right to me. Maybe I just never stopped you know, to question that. Or you just start at the very beginning of where did this dream start? I, it may still be something that I want to pursue, but let's just start from the beginning as we analyze it today. Question two is when did the dream hook you? So often we have an initial idea But we aren't necessarily committed to, yes, I'm going to do this and I'm going to start this now. You got the idea in your head that you would love to learn 
to sale, but you didn't actually book the class, look into it. It's kind of on your list of, in a few years, I would like to get there. But if you're at a place where you really have tried to move it forward, when did it really hook you? For me, that was when I was on sabbatical in the summer of 2016. I story you may have heard before. I left for six weeks. I realized three weeks in I wasn't halfway to whatever kind of healing, peace, rejuvenation, anti-burnout I was looking for. Didn't get on the plane in Paris. Ended up staying for four months. So at the beginning of that, around May or June, I was by myself in Italy. This is the very beginning of my, yeah, I think I was about a month, six weeks in. I was by myself, I was traveling, and this was the season of Snapchat. <laughs> so I, I, Snapchat's still around, I think, but for me, it was literally a season of Snapchat. There was a group of y'all that followed me during that summer with all of my travel adventures, and I had this little group over there, and I was, was following along on Snapchat as I just kind of had more time. And it just so happened there was multiple people I was following who had written books that were launching that summer. And following along on the play-by-play of that gave me a new vision that when you release a book, there's a momentum that happens in a business that doesn't really exist any other way. Sure, you're going to have launches in your business, you're going to have new products, but unless you're really getting a level of press... It doesn't make as big of waves. It might be different seasons to your audience, but I realized that there was magazines and newspaper articles and television, and TV is something that I'd always wanted to do. My background was in musical theater. I wanted to do more on-camera style things. I hosted a show for Hearst Media when I first started out as a stylist, and I had tried to do television. Actually, the summer previously, I got a publicist. He was so excited, and he immediately wanted to start booking me on morning television things, and I literally lasted two weeks before I fired him because I realized I don't have time to do this. Like, this is a long-term game of eventually it will grow my profile and it will grow my traffic. But like, I got to make money in the next three months here to keep my business afloat. I can't be out of the office half the days of the week. Like, who's going to run the business? So that was part of it that I realized, okay, it could these two things could go in tandem. There could be a bigger vision for my business that also included television. And I also realized that It was going to let me reach more women, which I definitely felt called to do. I felt that this was a a message that applied to so many women, my vision of truly exploring what makes us feel beautiful. And so for the first time that summer, as I was a little bit slower and I was observing other people do something and I was realizing other layers and other wins to it, it really started to click in for me. I think this is something that I want to do. That was in May, June. And then in August, I have a very distinctive memory of being in Dubrovnik, Croatia at two in the morning in the bathroom, the Guy that I was dating is asleep in the other room. I don't want to wake him up. So I'm in the bathroom. I haven't turned on the fan because I don't want to wake him up. So I am dripping in sweat, sitting on the closed seat of the toilet because I was lying in bed and the first chapter of the book just started to come to me. So I grabbed my uh, laptop and I'm sitting in the bathroom just, just writing. And also that same month when I was in Nice, France, a few weeks earlier, I remember 
having meetings with my team about a vision for an updated brand new website that was going to be tied into driving traffic for the book. So I can remember that August 2016, I was I was off and running and I thought, okay, we're we're headed. This is this is going to be happening in the next few months, you know. We're going to have a book a, a a year or two from now, whatever that timeline is. Like we're making this happen. And to clarify, that was 5 years ago. That was five years ago that I thought, okay, it's starting now. And literally instead, it is starting now, five years later. So go back to when did that dream hook you? And if that was many, many years ago, know that you are not alone and that you don't have to feel guilt, shame, and discouragement around it. Know that we can have a dream. I am living proof that we can have a dream for a lot longer than we think and That doesn't mean that it's never going to happen and it doesn't even mean that we've done anything wrong. So question three is what has gotten in the way or what gets in the way now? Whether you didn't start right away, and again, I'm going to speak sort of past and present tense because there may be some of you that are finally moving along with the dream, but today is a conversation to help you heal and process some lingering guilt and shame that it took you so long to finally get here. You are running the business. You are auditioning. You are going to graduate school, What whatever it is. And there's others of you that it's not happening. It is still just the dream. So use the past or present tense language for yourself. But whether that is because you know, what got in the dream, what got in the way, whether you didn't start right away, it took a few years or it's been a few years since, or it didn't pick up steam, you're kind of doing it, but it never really kind of clicked and was was going along. I said to the some of my Elegant Excellence Mastermind students, which is the private community that I run for female entrepreneurs, I said to some of them recently as we were regrouping on our mid-year goal setting, our mid-year plan, I said, most of my goals haven't happened. And what I really meant was, They haven't happened in the time I expected them. They took way longer. I said that I was going to make that happen in quarter two, and three years later, it happened. Or they are still on the list because other things took longer. I had to focus on these other things, or I chose to focus on these other things, so I've still wanted to do that, and it is still sitting there. So what gets or has gotten in the way for you? It might be fear. Maybe you're afraid to take that next step. Maybe you are overcomplicating things and you're making it this huge thing to just get started and you need to simplify it. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe you haven't been really that motivated and that committed. Maybe you have too much on your plate. That was definitely my thing. Uh, I will link below the episode on the roadblocks to dreaming. It's one of our three-part podcast series that ties into the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal. But if listening to this, you realize I do have dreams that have been stuck. I think that Roadblocks to Dreaming episode is really helpful because we all have different reasons. I have five S's that I go through. We all have different reasons why I believe we get stuck and they are not all the same. But ultimately, this is not about shaming yourself or even looking for excuses, it's just understanding and insight so you can address it. And I think that's why that Roblox to Dreaming episode is powerful because we think I'm going to feel enshamed, frustrated, embarrassed, failure if I really dig into 
why the flip have I not made this happen? But actually, so we fear it and therefore we don't explore it. But actually, if we can get that understanding and insight, we go, oh, that's what's happening. Okay, well, now that I understand it, I can address it. So, and by the way, also what could have gotten in the way could be grief. Someone passed away, illness, a breakup. You know, infertility is what's in the way of your dream to become a mother if that is your story. There's a huge variety of dreams as far as whether they have elements or to what extent do they have elements. They all have elements, but to what extent do they have elements that we can and can't control? You know, your dream, if you want to be on Broadway, a working actor, a musician, a painter in a gallery, there may have been rejection, closed doors, not getting cast, not getting a music agent. So I think, again, we want to make sure that we find the balance of not shaming ourselves over so many factors that we can't control. For a lot of us with a lot of dreams, there are other things that have gotten in the way that were not you didn't work hard enough, you weren't enough of an essentialist, you didn't overcome your fear, and there very likely are also some elements of that in a lot of dreams. Not being cast, not getting a music agent, I think it's about making sure that we find the balance of not shaming ourselves over so many factors that we can't control. Many dreams also have factors we can control. We can think creatively, we can come up with our own projects, we can put ourselves out there more, etc. When you can't get pregnant, there may be things that you can do as far as your health and your education, but you also may be at a place where there's nothing else you can do. When the Broadway show hasn't come your way, there may be other things that you can do to be creative and put yourself out there, but there also is an element that you can't just, just force it. You can't muscle your way or therapy your way into that. And there are a lot of other dreams that we do have so much control over. And I think it's allowing both things to be true and just going down into, okay, what is true for me? How much do I need to release that I cannot muscle my way into this? And where do I need to accept? Actually, there's more that I can do and I am getting in my own way. For me, what got in the way is running a business is all-consuming. For the better part of the last decade, I just felt like I was always running right on top of the log. You know, like in an old cartoon or something, when there's a log in the river and the cartoon animals like skedaddling to try to stay on top of it, and like they're running and the log's running the other direction. That is how running a business has felt. <laughs> it's felt like there is no margin to add something else to try to juggle while you're already on top of the log is just insanity. So it took so much focus to just keep that business afloat. And as I mentioned above, I know that a book is a low revenue, long term project that was was not going to get me there. Question four is what did you not know that you didn't know? Or what do you not know that you don't know? One of the things for me is how to write a book proposal was just not clicking. I I had a program on it. I had read them. I don't know why. I just, I felt like someone with two left feet after a lifetime as a professional dancer. And I was like, I don't understand. How, 
How do I have two left feet? How is this so hard for me? I felt like, you know, my background was in ballet. I felt like a ballerina trying to do hip hop. That's the perfect analogy. Yes, I have been a professional dancer. I look very awkward doing hip hop. (laughs) I look, you know, like the before of Julia Stiles, the ballet dancer who does not know to do hip hop, how to do hip hop, and is really still not that convincing in the movie, you know? So I just was like, I... I'm creative, I'm a teacher, I'm a writer, why am I awkward robot and I cannot figure out how to write in this weird language. I had an agent that I had met who was seemed like they were so perfect, they represented other authors like me. She was just not having my attempts at a book proposal. So I just decided to start writing. I was like, you know what? I am sucking at this book proposal process and I'm good at writing, so why don't I just start writing the book and I will just... Uh, Maybe I'll do the process backwards. I'll figure it out from there. So I'm proud of myself for coming up with a creative workaround and just finding a way to kind of keep going. But that felt like a huge energy block in the midst of it. Now, there is lots more that I didn't know I didn't know. The last This spring has been such a learning experience um, that I can share more about later. But that was a, a big gap for years, was kind of how do I get this ball rolling? This concept of not knowing what we don't know, I think is a massively universal experience that we do not talk enough about. Whatever we endeavor to do, there is so much we don't know that we don't know about wedding planning, buying your first home, renovating a home, getting married, being a parent, starting a business, any creative project, going back to school in your 50s, whatever it is. So we wildly underestimate the time, effort, energy, challenges, finances of making something happen. And then we feel shocked because we didn't even realize we had such a clear expectation of what this was going to be. And it is nothing like we thought it was going to be. And therefore, it feels like we are remedial. What is wrong with me that I was so dumb, I didn't know that this was going to be so hard. I didn't know that this was going to take so long. I didn't know that this was going to be so expensive. What a flippin' idiot. No, it's just life. What makes us think we know everything? What makes us think we can plan a timeline or a budget for something we have never done before? Have other human beings done it? Yes, But everyone's story is so different. The process of writing a book, what it looks like to plan a wedding. I mean, just planning a wedding. Everyone's going to have different family dynamics. They're going to have different locations in the world. They're going to have different religious customs. I mean, it's so hard to look at someone else's blueprint and follow it to a T because somewhere in there, you've got a personal story. They laid out this budget and they cared about photography, but instead you care about food or here's like the perfect seating chart. And you're like, oh wait, my parents are divorced and and don't speak to each other and theirs weren't. Like it's just going to be different. And that's one teeny tiny example. But imagine everything we undertake There just isn't a map for it. We have a friend that's been in medical school, and gosh, her path has been all over the map. You go in thinking, oh, this is going to be a linear seven-year journey, but she's just had weird situations of like mentors leaving and getting transferred and, um, and, and not passing certain tests and having like 
you know, superiors that were very triggered by her and just all sorts of things that you realize, okay, this is not what I expected going in. I think everybody just thinks this is going to chug along, but there's going to be some people that realize halfway through medical school, they don't want to be doing it anymore. They want to change their specialty. Like just allowing that it is normal to not know so much about whatever you are about to embark on. And I think that this mindset is so important to go back later, even when we have figured something out, even when we've had the wedding, we're in med school, we've gotten the the book deal, whatever, and to smooth over so much of that shame and to rewrite that story for yourself through journaling and self-coaching and counseling of, I did the best I could. I didn't know this and that, and I would do this differently, and I would do that differently. But that's not embarrassing. That's empathy. If someone else was telling me this story, I would say to them, I mean, how could you have known, right? But when it's the voice to ourselves, we tend to be such a 13-year-old mean girl and be like, "What, what, how dumb are you that you didn't know that? We just would never say that to a girlfriend who was saying, this is harder than I thought. It's more expensive than I thought. It's taking longer than I thought. Question number five is, what did you have to change to make it work? Or what do you have to change? Again, based on where you are in your story. Whatever the roadblocks are, you know that I believe we are more empowered over our lives than we think. Maybe what you need to change to make it work is your behavior, your priorities, coming up with option B or C. You know, maybe you need to change your daily schedule, your be more structured, be less of a perfectionist, take some things off your plate, acknowledge you can't do all these things at once, acknowledge that the timeline is going to take longer. Think about you know, what other airy angles you can come at it from because you had a map of steps one through 10 and you got stuck at three and you're just banging your head to get to three, to get to three, to get to three. And you're like, what if it's B instead of three? What if it's C? What if there's another way that I could zoom out and look at this creatively? For me, I had to create more space because my thing that got in the way was that business was all consuming and I didn't have the space What I needed to change to make it work was creating more space. I didn't know that I didn't know how to write a book proposal, but that wasn't the real thing. I can acknowledge that that was one part of the story, but that wasn't the real root. What really got in the way was my business was all consuming. So that's what I really needed to change to make it work. So I tried starting back in 2017. It was 2016 that I had this idea I wanted to write a book. And I was clear by 2017 that I needed help. I was exhausting. I was drowning in my business. And I thought, I just can't go on like this. I wasn't even thinking it's because I have to write the book. But that was still a huge part of the story. And I remember talking to two of my girlfriends, uh, my my colleagues, mentors, Kristen and, and Jen, and both of them saying, what if you just shut everything down, wrote your book, and you know, took it from there. And I really thought about that. And I played out that scenario. And I thought, but I'm going to write the book. And then I'm going to want to throw people in the book to the style course. And then I'm going to need 
a website and an email list and a group and customer service and tech support and all the things. Like every route to me, the book led back to other elements of teaching and community and help and support where I was going to build the business right back up. So it wasn't my realizing I need to shut this down and go in a different direction. It was, no, the book leads to this business that I've built, but right now the business is so crazy that I can't get to writing the book. So long story, but I ended up bringing on business partners. And the vision was that I just needed to free up my time. And everyone was on board with this goal. The business partners, the rest of the team, everybody shared the vision. Hillary writing the book is the most important work we can do in the world. And yet, it just didn't work. We grew the business during that time, but it didn't free up my time. We just didn't have quite the right people in the right seats in a way that we weren't just making the plane bigger. We actually were freeing me up to go, you know, build a little plane on the side. We ended up with more revenue and a bigger business, but that also meant more expenses, which now just meant we were flying a bigger plane, which needed more people, which needed more of me present. So I felt called to part from that partnership two and a half years later. COVID hit, and it just has been really the right place, right time in my own growth. The last 18 months since parting that partnership, I've experienced so much personal growth around the idea of really taking ownership, being in a space where I realized I couldn't blame anyone else for the fact that I didn't have time or I couldn't expect anyone else to make the space. Whereas when there's other people here and their job is to create that, it's very easy energetically to sit there with your arms crossed and be like, why are you guys not doing it? Like what, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. So why aren't you doing it? And it just wasn't feasible for them to do it. They didn't have the right skill set for what we needed in this company to free up my time. So now being free of not having someone else to sit back, arms crossed and be like, why are you guys not fixing it? There was no one left but me. I had to fix it. Now, it wasn't wrong to ask for help and to try that way. It just didn't work. I think sometimes we try a good, wise plan of attack, path that we're going to head down, you know, deadline we think we're going to hit, way we think we're going to get there, and they just don't work. The first thing you try isn't always the answer. And I think there again, we can often look back and, and have so much shame and regret over why did I waste all that time going down that road? Why did I lose all those years doing that thing? But sometimes the first thing you try just isn't the answer. It's not what's going to lead you to the baby. It, it wasn't the right romantic relationship for you. It wasn't the right career path for you. Whatever it is, we often have to try and try and try And we just sadly don't get a guarantee in life that the first thing we try is going to poof, magically open, you know, what's behind door A. If anyone had told me back in 2017 that I just needed to take more ownership and I needed a smaller team and I needed to do it more myself, I would have punched them in the nose. Because that was not the answer in 2017. It's not even like I was just resistant. I can look back and say, I was not in 
the mental and emotional place for that to be the answer. And I don't even think that's because I wasn't healed enough or I was too broken or whatever. When God created the heavens and the earth and he determined who Hillary Rushford Collier was going to be in 2017, okay, it was just Hillary Rushford then, who Hillary Rushford was going to be in 2017, she was not the girl who could take more ownership, have a smaller team and figure it all out on her own. And I think, again, we so often think if I just gotten my ish together, if I had just lost the weight at that point, if I had just been harder on myself, if I had just gone to therapy earlier, I truly am in a place where I can look back and be like, that's just not who 2017 Hillary was. That answer would not have worked. And it's not because somebody didn't suggest it. And it wouldn't have worked if I had tried it then. But it was the right answer in 2019. So I think it was right that what I tried, I swung the pendulum all the way to one side and was like, I will give over equity in my company. I will give over uh, control, like share control, share leadership. I will bring on these big people and I will get this help. I will make the team bigger. I will make the company better, uh, bigger. And that is how I will free up my time. Only to have it fail so that I could then try swinging the pendulum all the way in the other direction of a smaller team, full personal accountability at a time when I was in the right place of personal growth to make it work. It was, it was COVID. It was quarantine. It was just a variety of things that were happening in my life spiritually and, and mental health wise. So I, I really want to drive that point home because I think so often we do something and we think, well, that was the wrong path and that, what a waste of three years. And actually, I think I had to swing the pendulum one side to realize it didn't work so that the idea of swinging it the other way actually felt like freedom and hope when earlier, A, I wasn't equipped for it, and B, that just seemed like a horrible idea until I had tried something else. And I was like, well, now by comparison. So I really want you to go back and look at What did you have to change or what do you have to change? And that has to do with forgiving yourself for past things and even releasing the sunk cost bias of having tried that. If it's not working, be honest that it's not working and make a new choice. You get told this all the time in, um, in theater when you like, you know, you do, you do a scene, you do a line a certain way and then the director's like, can you make a different choice? <laughs> AKA, that's not the direction I wanted you to go or that wasn't very compelling or I don't think the character would do that. So make a new choice. If it hasn't been working and it has been an elongated time, make a new choice. Go back and honor that you did make a different choice in the past so that you can prove to yourself, look, I'm, I'm creative, I'm resilient. I'm willing to pivot and do other things or right now, I'm going to forgive myself for the fact that I've been down this path and I'm going to release it and I'm going to make another choice. Question six is, are you sure you feel deeply compelled by this dream? When you have been fighting for something for so long, there can be a sunk cost bias, which I've used that phrase multiple times here already because I do think that is so much of it is we get such weight and shame from the time, effort, energy, exposure that we've put into this that it can start to feel so heavy. But if you ask yourself, if you hadn't put in all this time, if you hadn't told anyone so there was no fear of shame or failure, would you still want it today? 
Now that you know all of the obstacles, now that you know everything it takes, how long it takes, do you still want it? And again, if there was no shame at saying, I really don't want this. I know I've put so much time, money, and energy into it, but I don't want it. If there wasn't any of that shame, or if you weren't thinking, well, but my, my dad's going to be disappointed because he always tells me to stick with things. You know, I wasn't allowed to quit soccer growing up. We're a family that doesn't quit. Like, if there was none of that story, just does it bring you joy? Today, knowing everything that it will take to get there. My first vision of why I felt compelled to write a book was momentum in the business and reaching more women through writing a book. My second vision that came maybe about two years later was reaching more women through the price point. I don't know where this came from, but I have such a vision of this book being in libraries and prisons, places where it is free to access this information and this support. Um, I am aware that running online courses are a higher price point. In order to to make my business work, I, I do higher price point work. And therefore, not all women can afford it, or they can't afford it in all seasons, or they can't afford everything that I'm offering. So to be able to have a $30 book, first of all, is way more accessible than a $300 style course. And then the fact that over the years, it can even be accessed for free by pe- by women for whom $30 is even a lot. I just truly believe that this message of feeling more beautiful, feeling more joy, feeling more empowerment is needed at every single price point. And I want it to be so deeply inclusive in a way that even the luxury of you having the time to listen to a podcast, a woman working three jobs that are all front customer facing where she's not like able to, you know, put, put ear pods in, um, that, that that's a, a luxury that we have to be able to spend time listening to podcasts. And so I know that not every woman, you know, even, even has that. So that was the second vision that really compelled me. And the third vision, which really just arose one in the last year as I started working on truly fleshing out the book proposal and seeing just how much my wisdom and knowledge and perspective had grown in the last 10 years since I first was doing one-on-one personal styling, since I was first... Uh, created my style course. There was so much more that had that that it had come to it. It was no longer a style book. It was a soul book, and I realized there is a complexity that you can only get in a book. So, I felt called to help more women initially, but there's a lot of ways that I can do that. I wouldn't have had to write a book to do that. I want to help more women affordably, but again, I I could find some other ways to do it. But that complexity is the thing that has really put me over the edge in the year, uh, the last year of feeling like this is why you write a book. Even a documentary that deep dives on into something is only two hours, but an audio book is 10, 11 hours, there's just a depth that comes to a book that when you say, in order for you to really have hope, healing, and breakthrough in this area, we need to look at eight different angles, intersecting, looping back and forth, and all of this. It's a journey that we just don't have any other art form today that really takes us that long. There are some podcasts that do that, but those are more for 
past news stories or true crime, they aren't really soul-changing self-help nonfiction. I'm getting all of those for books. So whatever your dream is, why are you compelled by it? We talk about this in the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal. I was talking about it yesterday with my Elegant Excellence Mastermind students of someone saying, she's just so burnt out. She is exhausted after running her business for a year through COVID, keeping it afloat, and the joy is just gone. And all the things she usually does to feel rejuvenated and refreshed, like they're just not working. You know, they feel like a sip of water in a desert. And I said to her, I think you need to go back to why are you compelled by this? And what would the other options be? Because it's your choice to run a business. You could go get another job. It's your choice to go to grad school or be an artist or whatever. So if I released this dream, could I be equally compelled by something that is easier or that is faster to obtain? I've said this for years. The people who do things that are especially challenging do not have any more courage or conviction than anyone else. They are not harder working. They are not any better. It's just that their next available option of what would give them happiness, joy, fulfillment doesn't even hold a candle to it. It's like, I know that this is an uphill slog to become an Olympian, but my next option just feels like half a life to me. Now, I, Hillary, don't feel that conviction to be an Olympian, but there's something in Simone Biles that for her to just have an ordinary life would feel so unsatisfying. She is so driven because her next option B is like 50% there. Whereas me, the life I have now versus the life I was an Olympian would be no happier. <laughs> so I'm like, yep, not worth the work. <laughs> so when it comes to being compelled by dreams, it is not about, am I willing to work hard enough? Do I have what it takes? Like we get these stories, I think, of hardness. We can do hard things like hustle hard, work hard, play hard. No, if you're just like, does this bring me enough joy? Is there enough return on investment in joy? And I just never felt the questioning of it. It just always made sense. It always felt right. For me, I never thought maybe I shouldn't write a book. Maybe I don't really want to write a book. It was only my timeline that was the issue. And again, as I said at the very top, if you have a dream that you release because it no longer feels compelling to you, there is nothing wrong with that. There is nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about. Why on earth would you want to invest so much in chasing something only because of guilt, shame, embarrassment that honestly nobody else cares about as your reason for sticking with it? But in my case, I can say I never thought maybe I shouldn't write a book. I had a fear of what if I never write a book? Like I don't, I don't, I, I kind of fail myself in that way, but I wasn't writing it to avoid the fear of failure. There still was that fear of failure there, but that wasn't what was motivating me. It was more that I had to keep saying, be patient, stay focused. It's the timeline that is the issue. I wasn't struggling, mind you, to actually write the book or come up with the idea. I was literally just struggling to find the time. The time was the issue. The space was the issue. I wasn't having writer's block. I wasn't having writer's fear, anything like that. The last question within which I have lots of little questions for you, is what can you do today? My switch flip 
started a year and a half ago when I parted with my business partners and I kind of took back that energy and I slowed down and I simplified my business, I took ownership, all of that. But then specifically, last summer, I took a class. I took a class on book writing. And I almost didn't take it because I was like, I think I think this is for a more beginner or someone who's more stuck and intimidated by the writing process. But I just decided to go for it. I was like, you know, there's just a couple little nuggets that I might learn here or there. But I realized there was such momentum swimming in the sea around other swimmers. Now, I didn't engage in the community. The course was pre-recorded. It wasn't live. It's not because I was getting this accountability or like jamming with other people. I was honestly just sitting by myself in my office watching something that had been recorded two years ago. But when you are in a space, it's all you want to talk about. Like when I was engaged, I was so close to other friends that I wasn't even that close to in my normal life, but we were all in this season of being engaged. And it's like, that's all you want to talk about. You just want to talk about wedding planning. So you want to get around other people that are talking about wedding planning so that you don't feel bad that you're talking about wedding planning because really it's just all you want to talk about and think about. And you want to read the books and you want to listen to the podcast and you want to exchange the magazines and da 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 I would imagine it's similar when you have a new baby. You just want to talk about the baby all the time, so you end up with lots of new mom friends. So my first question for you here is, can you swim in the sea around other swimmers? Whatever you are saying you want to do, can you be surrounded by more people who are in the same season? Because it lights up in you oh my gosh, I do want to be talking about this all the time. And other people are talking about this. And I'm hearing about it and I'm soaking it in and I'm thinking about it and it's becoming more of my daily life as opposed to, yeah, I'd like to get around to that eventually, but I don't really know where to start. And I mean, no one else in my life is talking about it. Obviously, there's people who've written books, but I just don't really, you know, think about it that much. I think it is so different if you can get yourself swimming in the sea around other swimmers. You get yourself into a writer's group. You take a course. You join a community. You start listening to uh, to podcasts on the topic. You follow people on Instagram who are doing the same thing. You seek out friends that are doing the same thing. Being inside that class, they featured a book coach, someone who helps you write your book proposal. So I reached out to her. We had a meeting. We totally hit it off. And previously when I had tried to reach out for help on my book proposal – I was like, I need this ASAP. Are you available in the next week? Because I want to have it finished in the next 30 days. This was um, like maybe 2018, somewhere in there. And I distinctly remember sending all these emails where I was like, um, so I'm, I'm already really behind. And um, so I'm going to need your help right away. So I'm just wondering like how quickly you would be available because um, I, I really need to get this done. And this time I was like, you know, I'm I'm taking some time off in August Um, so I'm like, if we could start in about six weeks and she was like, oh yeah, that's perfect timing. And I just noticed how different the energy was that I wasn't operating from this frantic scarcity internal motor of hustle of I'm so behind, I'm so behind and I've got to go so fast and it's already got to be done. And and I'm already so much more behind than I thought that I was going to be. And so I really got to get there. And I think sometimes that happens when we're in the midst of a dream because of course we want it to happen. Of course you want to meet the significant other. Of course you want to have the baby. Of course you want to have finished your PhD dissertation. Of course you already want to have a Broadway show. Of course we want to be living the life now that we want. So we're not 
hyper highly anxious. We aren't being ridiculous. We want it now. That impatience makes sense. But in this way, it just felt different. It felt like there is an intentionality that I want to make this happen, but I'm no longer feeling frantic. And my question for you is, can you have intention without hustle? That is such a precarious, magical, in-between space to sit in. I want to be very intentional about doing everything I can to become pregnant, to get my musical career happening. I want to be intentional with everything that I can without giving into the fear and scarcity and lie that I have to hustle and I have to work so hard. And if I'm not pushing at 110% every day, it's never going to happen. And I only have myself to blame. How can we find that balance? So we started working together and we would meet once a week on Zoom. And I realized in that, and I said this to her from the beginning, why I was hiring her in part, A, because I couldn't figure out how to write a book proposal years earlier, and B, I said to her, I have accountability in every other area of my business. My podcast is expecting me to be there. My Instagram is expecting me to be there. My mastermind girls are expecting me to be there. My my Elegant Excellence Journal girls are expecting me to, to be there. And I have a business manager. So my students, my audience is holding me accountable. And my business manager is going to make sure that all of those things happen. Hey, do you have the the podcast description? Hey, do you have your, your teaching ready for tomorrow? But when it came to the book, Nobody is expecting the the book. And my business manager can't, it, it's not for her to lead. She can't really help with it. She could nag me about it every day, but that's not really going to be helpful. So my next question is, can you hire someone for accountability? Now, this person doesn't have to be hired. You can have a friend and you're holding each other accountable, but it is less formal and there's more of a chance that they can flake out. And so if you truly have something that you are deeply passionate about making happen and you, like me, are in a season of, I have been saying this for years and it's not happening, I think hiring someone for accountability can be a huge way to really help you take action and move it forward. Specifically, this depends on how you're motivated. But I don't like to let other people down. I don't like to look unprofessional. I don't like to look disorganized. I don't like to feel like I'm being judged. So if I've told my coach that I'm going to write this section by Friday, I am very likely to have written that section by Friday. If I tell myself, eh, 50-50. We work on the book proposal together we get 80% of the way done in two months. After four years, poof, 80% there in two months. Like, we are cooking, I'm making it happen. And then we stopped for four months. Four months, 80%. After two months, we've only got 20% left and completely stopped, screeching halt for four months. Part of that was life. I traveled. That's the day that the... uh, switch flipped to off was when I got in a plane and flew to Joshua Tree, California. We were seeing my family. We were quarantining and then spending a long time with my family. We were doing the holidays with my family. We were, you know, then going down to Mexico to explore if we wanted to live there. Part of it was business. I had too much on my plate. I had really overcommitted myself. I had some more lessons that I needed to learn about scheduling in the fall. And by the time I learned them, I was already way overcommitted. There was just no way I could do all of this. And it was also part mindset. I was telling myself that this next part was hard. I had to write my sample chapters and one of them was my thesis chapter. 
And I have a lot of weight around like, ugh, like what is the thesis and how do I, how do I summarize everything that this is into one chapter? And I made it this, you know, big, huge, scary thing for myself. And also an HR consultant told me years ago that people tend to be starters or finishers. I am a starter. I get good ideas and good excitement and energy and I'm like off and running. And if I get stopped 75 or 80% of the way through, this could be writing an email, this could be on a personal project, this could be on a huge business project. I mean, it's like you dropped a hundred pound weight on me. I'm just like, I can't possibly get up from here. Other people are finishers. I literally was saying to my friend Sharon, you know, I don't know. Allegedly, there's these finishers. I don't really know who those people are, but I'm told they exist. Sharon's like, oh my gosh, I'm a finisher. She too is writing a book right now. And she was like, I am a finisher. I am so jealous of where you are that your book proposal is already done. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to start a book proposal. It's like a blank page. Where do I begin? She's like, once I'm 25% into it, then my momentum starts cooking and I'll finish. And I'm like, oh my gosh, once I'm 75% into it, then I start to wane. So I knowing that about myself is part of where, again, I could feel shame or I can look back and see Gosh, that really happened to me during the book proposal. So now that I'm moving forward on the actual manuscript, what do I need to put into place to not let myself poop out at the 75% or 80% mark? So it's not just about looking back and being like, oh, yeah, I hate that about myself. But it's saying, okay, so what accountability, what structure, what different tips, tricks, techniques can I put into place knowing that about myself to set me up better for success. So anyways, one day we're in Mexico. I'm working on my Elegant Excellence Goals journal. It's January. I'm kicking it off for the year. And I'm like, I got to get back up on the horse with writing. So when am I going to write these sample chapters? And it was a Thursday. And I just wrote tomorrow. I'm sorry, it was a Wednesday. I said, I'm doing it tomorrow. I'm not going to wait for a Monday for February 1, for quarter three, until we're back in New York. I'm not going to put it off until some nicely, like nice and neat packaging of this is why I started this day. My question for you is, can you start the next step tomorrow? And not be like, well, once I lose the 10 pounds, well, once the kids are back in school, well, once we've moved house. Now, sometimes... That makes sense. There are other times because we want to be essentialist and we can't do 10 things all at once, there are absolutely seasons where I have said, I am not going back to French class. I am not leading a new small group at my church. Here's the priority for right now. And not until I do this will I take up those other things. Sometimes that's right. But if this is the dream that keeps nagging at you, there's a good chance this is what you need the step on of tomorrow and you're, you're making it too big or you're, you're telling yourself some story about when it's going to be. So for me, it was getting back to two hours a day of writing. I write from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's what I was doing when I was working on my book proposal and prior to that when I was just generally writing the manuscript. So the next day, picked it up, wrote for two hours, wrote for two hours, finished the sample chapter in two days. Next sample chapter, finished it in four days of two hours uh, at a time. So within six work days... I finished what I had been putting off for four months. 
And I just, I, I hope that that is such a clear and compelling memory for someone listening to go, I've been putting this off. She was putting it off for four months and she, she got over the hump in six days of sitting down for two hours a day. That is not that much. I can find a way to carve out two hours a day. I can find a, a way to carve out one hour a day. Okay, great. It'll take me two weeks, you know, when it took her one. But even, and this is not only after four months of pausing, this is after four and a half years of trying to get this thing up and running. And then we got to the molasses season. If I thought the previous seasons felt like molasses, whew, the last three months, I was put into the new and unique position that I couldn't do anything to hurry the process along. Once I finished the book proposal, I didn't really have control over the rest of the process. And when I looked back recently at the timeline I had laid out for the book, I thought it would take one month what took four months. And it feels like an eternity when you're holding your breath for a new season to begin. It, getting this book deal feels like getting pregnant, where once it happens, boom, the, the clock snaps into focus. And now truly, while I am not pregnant, let us be clear, but my husband and I are both like, okay, all right, we got it now. So now we know the timeline, we know when the book tour is, we know when this is, we know when this is. So then this in our personal life and this with our personal goals, like it, it clicks everything to focus as though we had gotten pregnant. And suddenly you're like, okay, so uh, nine months, we're having a baby. And then we're gonna have three years of, you know, two years of having an infant and then two years of having a toddler. And like, you start to go down the road. That's what this is. That's part of the reason this is such a big deal for me is that it truly was, okay, now it clicks years of our lives into focus. But in the meantime, it felt like being nine months pregnant for three months, where I was constantly journaling to myself just one more week. You know, the very first part of it went fast. And that then was a little bit misleading because it made me think, ooh, the rest of this is just going to like clip along. Sent out the proposal to agents, heard back in 48 hours, which is unheard of. It was so fast. They were so effusive. It was love at first sight. It was amazing. Then the legal part with agents, like getting my lawyer and their lawyers and all the contracts, oh my gosh, it was so slow. It took me, I think, three or four weeks from when I got the agent to when I could actually announce it on Instagram. Then the edits with the agents took so slow. There was these formatting errors and yada, yada. And like, I literally thought it was going to take me a day and it took two weeks. Then the meeting with publishers were so slow, especially because it happened to fall right when my parents were here for a week. So I kicked off my meetings with editors, paused for a week, picked it back up. Then once we the book went to auction and we had chosen our publisher, then the legal with publishers. I mean, at this point, again, it's been weeks where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to share on Instagram because I just need to be able to actually like be in this new season. So my question for, here for you is, what can you do every day? And I think that this is a specifically powerful example because sometimes that thing is an action step. In a lot of things, that is an action step. But a lot of goals, there isn't necessarily an action step you can do every day. And for me, what I could do every day for the last few months was journal. Was take a big, spacious time in the morning 
when my clothes are fitting a little tight. I've probably put on a few pounds during COVID and I really have not been into my exercise routine and I'm like, you know what? Like that's just not the top priority right now. I can figure that out in a few months, but I'm in this big season. Instead of splitting my mornings between journaling and and trying to work out, I'm just going to do an extra long session of journal. I'm going to pray and listen to spiritual and mindset books and turn it over to God and coach myself that for once there was nothing more that I could do. And now the day was not about what, what do I need to knock out today? What's the priority? What do I need to push myself to make this happen? It wasn't about pushing. It was about releasing. I'm going to say that again. It wasn't about pushing. It was about releasing. And sometimes that's the thing we have to do every day. Can I go on dates to put myself out there? Yes. But is spending three hours on Tinder every day going to necessarily get me further to my goal? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe what I can do is journal and work on my peace and my joy and my hope and all of the things. Is there something I can do for fertility every single day? Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe it has to be journaling in the process. Can I do something every single day to get me closer to being on Broadway? Maybe, maybe not. There's so many applications for this. The past five years were about pushing. Now, maybe it should have been about releasing somewhere along the way, but I never got that feeling. I never, and maybe it's because I wasn't listening, but, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily look back and think, oh, I should have just been palms up, let go and let God. I mean, there's an extent to which I feel like if I didn't keep fighting for it, it wouldn't have happened. Now, I do believe the book would have happened. I wasn't really fighting for the book. I was fighting for more space, more confidence, more ownership. It really was an exploratory time of that. And the book was kind of the carrot being dangled at the end, but it wasn't the journey. And if I had released the carrot, maybe I would have been like, I don't know. I can keep deferring to other people. I can keep expecting other people are going to solve this for me. So those five years, I look back and I see they were part of, I was going to say they're part of the fight. But again, I don't like that aggressive energy because I just don't want to accept that my life has to be full of hard fights. But they were part of the journey. The the fact that I did it, did keep pushing to I've got, I'm, I'm supposed to be writing this book. What, what else do I need to change? What else do I need to break through? Because I know this is what I'm meant to do. So I don't know whether you're in a season where you should push or release right now. But I think that you do. Or I think that you can if you'll slow down through journaling, prayer, therapy, counsel, self-coaching, The only way I have the self-awareness and the peace and the confidence that I do at this stage in my life is because I am pouring so much energy into that. And I think this whole conversation was really important for me to share today because I don't think we very often see the real story of dreams getting delayed. We see the book launch, business launch, marriage, baby, accomplishment, graduation, certification, finish line. And that's not inauthentic of people. You know, we talk about things like Instagram and social media as the highlight reel. It's not inauthentic. It can just be like watching paint dry. 
Like, do we really want to watch you tinker with your PhD thesis every day for three years? Like, it's really much more satisfying to just come in at the end and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. Let me come to the party. This is great. I'll totally celebrate you and like bring you flowers and, and send you champagne. But in the meantime, when you're doing it, there just may not be a whole lot to report. I mean, what is there to necessarily share when it feels like, well, the update now is I'm feeling like, you know, 96% anxious instead of 99% anxious. So that's a little better. I mean, sometimes there are certain people in your life you're going to share that with, but there's just not a lot to necessarily share when we're in the waiting, when we're in the muddling through, when we're in the... We don't know if it's going to happen yet. And if it's vulnerable and I share, what if it never happens? Now I've I've put myself out there. I was just reading an article about Amanda Klutz. I believe it was in Elle magazine as her book on uh, losing her husband, Nick Cordero, comes out. And it really was about the concept of modern grief. And the author was saying that Amanda got pushed back in some ways for how can you be happy and joyful on your Instagram page while your husband is in the hospital? And how can you be promoting your business while grieving? And yet that is the reality that you've got to keep your you've got to keep your business going. You've got to keep making money. You you want to have purpose. You want to have something to be doing with your life and simultaneously you're grieving. And if it's not making you happy to just crawl into bed under the covers. Plus you're a mom, you've got to provide for your child, etc. But her friend Zach Braff says in the article, she kind of painted herself into a corner because when she first started sharing, she had no idea that her husband was going to die. She didn't know that coronavirus was going to be a once in a lifetime pandemic. She just shared initially because it was like, hey, like my husband's feeling really tired. You know, if you guys could just pray for him or like, oh, I'm on single mom duty today because you know, my husband's not feeling well. And then when he went to the hospital, it was like, hey, guys, I just, you know, the story right now is that this only affects older people. And so I just feel compelled to share like my husband's only 41 and he's healthy. He doesn't have any pre-existing conditions. So I just want other people to be careful, right? You know, and then it just... It snowballed. And if she had known that she would be one of the national poster children for grief in a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, she might have chosen to be less vulnerable. So if we know what, like, if we're thinking, what if the worst happens and this never happens, then we don't want to share. So oftentimes then we don't. In her case, it was just not occurring to her that that there was a chance her husband was going to die. And so she didn't have that fear of, you know, putting herself out there. So I think a lot of times we have, have people that have been struggling with infertility or uh, marital issues, whatever, and, and they haven't shared publicly. And there can be a sense of the audience of like, why did you not share that? But, you know, it's vulnerable to share those things. If you don't yet know what the outcome is going to be, it's vulnerable to say, I want to be a working actor. I want to be a working musician. I want to pass the bar, whatever it is. I, I want to buy my first house as a single woman or whatever, and to then have it not happen. So now that it has happened, in my case, in this specific dream of getting the book deal, before I switch gears to focus on what for me truly feels like such a delicious, delightful buzziness 
of I have a true timeline. I have an actual finish line. There is a roadmap with a big celebration at the end. This is flipping happening. Before I kick into that, I wanted to honor the five years of waiting. And anyone else who is in a season of waiting now, you were in a season of waiting in the past and maybe there is still healing and honoring of yourself to do in that, or you will be one day. And this episode will serve you whether you are not listening to this in real time and you come to it two years later or someone sends it to you in two years when it is your moment or you recall this episode and you come back and you cling to it like a lifeline. I've got one more announcement coming up in the PS, so finish to the end, but I hope this episode, while fascinating to hear some of my behind the scenes, I know I genuinely love that about people, whether they are in my industry or an industry I don't know that much about, but I hope that more importantly, it has inspired and encouraged you in your own story. So swipe up for all of those questions to have for your own journaling. And I would truly love to hear your story over on Instagram and that of anyone that you felt compelled to share this episode with today. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is actually officially, literally, factually writing my book. I'm at the start of writing, and I gotta tell you it feels freaking good every day. I'm writing. After five years, I didn't think that I could. Actually, that's not true. I did think that I could, but I just, you know, you just gotta go with things sometimes that rhyme when you're doing those little riffs. So when you were listening, it will have been three weeks since my book went to auction, which is a crazy process I can share more about later. I may be sharing more details as I go on Instagram, so absolutely follow along over there. But it took a couple of days to make the decision and then a week of preparation and planning. And meanwhile, the contracts are happening and I can't say anything. But last week was my first full week of writing. Again, I will share more details on that process over on Instagram. But in essence, I am writing, my plan is to write and research three days a week and run the business two days a week, which is pretty intense because for the last 10 years, I've run the business five days a week and we're not really doing less in the business. I don't have the option to just shut it down. I have a team and and expenses and students and all of that. So that means that with pumping out so much content in those three days a week, I need to find some things to simplify in the business. And one of those things that I'm going to test out is petite podcasts in this upcoming season. I may do longer episodes if something strikes me, but I didn't want to take a hiatus from the podcast. And I had so many notes that were little snippets of ideas that hadn't didn't really feel worthy of a full episode. So they had never been fully fleshed out. And I thought this is a way that we can still hang out once a week just for more of a short catch up than a long leisurely coffee. And we can touch on some things that haven't been appropriate for the longer episodes of the podcast. So I didn't want you to be confused next week and think it was some glitch in your podcast app if the episode says it's like eight minutes long instead of our traditional 90 minutes. So I already have also been so sporadic on Instagram while I've really been in this 
holding my breath phase where it just felt like I'm so close to a new season and a fresh start and a new plan and this is all I can think about right now. Again, I imagine it's like the first trimester of being pregnant where you're like, this is all I can think about, but it's not yet time to share it. And you're like awkward robot. Like, I don't even know what else to talk to people about. So I've been a little sporadic on Instagram, but I also want to share as much of the behind the scenes as I can because I really haven't seen other authors do that. And I think whatever people are going through, it normalizes the idea that things don't just, quote, happen when we see that they're in process. And even if you never desire to write a book on your own, I think really understanding how much time that takes behind the scenes, that carries over into having more empathy for your brother-in-law who's going through law school or someone else in your life when you realize, you know what, I don't think I realized just how much it took to make fill-in-the-blank happen. And now I just am, I'm, I'm someone who can better celebrate people when big things happen because I happen to follow Hillary when she was doing this unrelated book writing and I realized, man, there's a lot more that goes into it than I realized when I'm walking around, you know, my local bookshop. So turn on notifications on Instagram if that's something that you do uh, for other people that you follow. Um, check in from time to time if you haven't seen me on Instagram. Check out my feed, my stories. Make sure that it's popping up for you. It will be a little bit more sporadic during this season, but anything that you see on there that encourages and inspires people in your life to keep going for their dreams, show themselves more grace, be more patient, not give up, please share that. Share the posts, share the stories, invite other people into this. And as soon as I can, I will share details every step of the way from the published date to pre-orders to the title and the cover to amazing in-person events for the book tour. I mean, there should be dance parties, right? It just, like, it feels like we have to have dance parties. I don't even know exactly how that happens and exactly how that comes to life. But it just feels like, especially after this time of COVID, we need there to not only be hugs, not only be photos, but we need there to be, like, a sweaty, epic Taylor Swift dance parties, right? So, I will share as, uh, that all along the way on Instagram and then also to my email list. So if you are not on that, please swipe up right now. It's at hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP. You can let me know if you are an entrepreneur or not, if you want to hear about those things that I talk to my list about or if you are interested in the style and lifestyle side or both. But truly, the email and the Instagram are where I will be sharing as much as possible while being here for Petite Pods every Wednesday with you. So invite all of your aspiring author, creative, dreamer friends to follow along in all of the places. Give them that website so they can opt into the email list as well. And as always, I will do my very best to help your story, which is what... All of this is about to help you have more joy and less overwhelm, more grace and gumption, more elegance and excellence. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday.